This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today it is Wednesday, October 27th. Markets today were slightly down. Um, Dow Jones was down three quarters of a point. S&P was down about half a percent. Um, yields uh, fell again <laughs> below 1.6, so they gave back some recent gains. We saw volatility go up 6%. Um, right now, we are in the heart of earnings season. Uh, a couple week and a half ago or so, we had better than expected earnings reports from a number of companies, Walgreens, um, United Health, Bank of America. Uh, so, you know, we, we definitely, you know, a week and a half ago, we were seeing some pretty strong gains based off a lot of those numbers. Um, Alphabet also released their earnings. I think uh, Microsoft and Ford did as well. Uh, Grant, any insights to any of these companies? I think a big one to look at is both Alphabet and Microsoft. We saw both their companies, third quarter results, really surpass analyst expectations. And the one that I really would like to highlight is Alphabet. So we saw them jump almost 5%, bring their market cap to almost 2 trillion. And really one of the big highlights here when you listened to the earnings call is that Apple's new iOS privacy wasn't really able to penetrate their ad revenue. Um, whereas that new update, a lot of people have seen it, do you want to be your data to be tracked that really impacted snap and facebook's results which is why you saw snap fall off a cliff last week uh and, and post aftermarket training trading excuse me but google and was able to to retain 43 percent increase in advertising revenue to 53.1 billion youtube ads also on the rise so so overall alphabet still looking strong yeah youtube uh ad sales youtube ad sales jumped up quite a good clip um 7.2 billion that's from up from 5 billion a year ago um i mean at the end of the day these companies obviously have the same supply chain issues that we're seeing across the board just a global macro problem alphabet analysts still see revenue growth slowing in 2022 but uh we still saw you know the stock Sore really. So, um, despite some of these, you know, definite definite headwinds, uh, earnings season was strong, and you know, they're they're they continue to be strong as they've been coming out. One thing I don't think we should overlook, Drew, is Tesla. So we saw Tesla pass the one trillion market cap this week. Really, the reason for that is Hertz decided, uh, really entered a deal, four billion dollar deal with. Tesla to sell 100,000 vehicles to their fleet. Really, that's pretty pretty big sign for Tesla. Elon Musk had another nice payday. Oh, he's sitting at 300 billion right now. I think he might be number one in the world right now. The world's first trillionaire. I'd uh, bet a growler on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tesla is also still interesting because it does have a junk bond rating still. So the 10 billion that they have in long-term debt that they recently raised is at a BB plus. 
Um, and then we still continue to see some people who are, who are bearish and think it's overvalued and some people continue to think it's, it's going to go to the move. So that is one thing. If we're still on the auto sector, one thing to look at, as you mentioned previously, Drew, is Ford really shattered the earnings expectations, um, beating, almost doubling the earning expectations, um, their revenue, $33.2 billion. Um, so overall, good for Ford. I think Ford, I'm pretty bullish on them overall. I think that they're going to come out with a great electric car fleet. Um, and since they are one of the largest automotive, automotive companies um, who who've have been in the industry for a while, who have survived changes in the automobile market, that I'd be a betting horse on that as well. Yeah, um, GitLab uh, had an IPO that had some series of successful IPOs. Uh, and, and if you listen to the Drawing Capital, um, you guys would have gotten some insights on some of these tech IPOs. but. Uh, GitLab, GitLab was strong. Uh, their shares jumped 35% on the first day, uh, trading on you know a couple like a Thursday ago. Um, and 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 yeah, I mean, there's a couple major things they have going for them. The company has a very high revenue multiple, so they got 14.9 billion market cap, trading at 64 times annualized revenue. Um, so there's only three companies um, within the the, the Bessemer Cloud Index that, that that are larger than that. Also, you know they, they've long been a pioneer in remote work, so they didn't see a huge drag in operations um, throughout the pandemic. They've kind of been geared towards it while everyone else was really adapting to something. Um, you know, GitLab didn't really have to alter much uh, in terms of day to day business operations, and they they have about. 1,400 roughly employees spread across 65 countries. So um, yeah, there's a major issue that you know, most of the corporate world was dealing with that, that GitLab was well adjusted to. And really the, the software is a complete development ops platform. As you mentioned, Drew, really they are going into a space that really only has one competitor that Microsoft bought a couple years ago. So it is still an untapped market. Um, GitLab said that its net revenue retention rate, which is a key metrics for subscription softwares because it shows customer success, how much they're retaining their customers, people continuing to sign up and not leaving, climbed 152% in July. So that's really strong if we think about other publicly traded software companies. Um, when we're looking at consumer price rises, uh, you know, a couple months ago, we were talking about how so much of the inflation was coming from one thing alone, and that was used cars. Uh, that was due to, you know, semiconductors and, and obviously shipping issues, right? So it's was, it was just tough to um, to do anything except sell used cars and buy used cars. Uh, There's a lot of order backlog. Now we're seeing that consumer prices are jumping largely due to energy. Um, when you look at excluding food and energy prices, the CPI increased 0.2% on the month. Um, and you know, the respective estimates on that were 0.3% on the month. So a lot of that core inflation was actually lower than expected. But yeah, I mean, when we're looking at energy, that is a big source of where we're seeing these, these hikes in prices. Yeah, fuel oil shot up 3.9%. Uh, for 
42% year-over-year surge, which is very significant. Hard to look at the year-over-year, as we mentioned usually in this podcast, is in 2020, there wasn't a lot of demand for oil. People weren't traveling. People weren't driving to work. So a bit of a difference there. But overall, prices, they're here to stay. Uh, people every on the earnings call, I mean, how many times do we hear supply shortage um, or surge in demand? Really two big drivers there. We saw comments from GE as well as Sharon Williams, who said just the overall raw cost of materials has gone up. Not to put a damper on things, because Thanksgiving probably is my favorite holiday, but there was an article in the, in the Times that every article uh, of a Thanksgiving feast from baking tins to the pumpkin to turkey, all will cost significantly more. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I think the question that we're going to have to ask ourselves in the coming months is how, how much room do we have to raise prices before they're going to begin to hurt sales, right? That's when we're going to start to see companies have to make shifts. Right now, they're passing these, these costs onto consumers. Since there's such pent up demand, they're willing to accept these, but there's going to come to a point where, where people stop paying these increased prices. Yeah, and you've seen it in, uh, I guess, a couple sectors. Um, apparel sales declined 1.1% in September. You saw transportation services were down 0.5% in September. Um, so, you know, they've gone down slightly and then there's other services that are slowing too, but yeah, it's tough to be team transitory right now. Uh, one, you, you really have to define what transitory is. You know, I mean, I think the general rule of thumb is most people expect that to be a few months. It's, it's already gone on further than that. Um, not to say there, there aren't really bullish people out there. Uh, Jamie Dimon um, kind of shrugged off inflation. Um, you know, he said at the end of the day, if that's our big problem, it's a good one to have. Uh, you know, there's been pent up consumer demands. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of M3, there's a lot of just cash and cash equivalents circulating in the system, and and ultimately that's that's better than you know what could be a still stagnant or deflationary environment. I guess is his big his big point. And it is a point that I think is lost on people's mind. Some types of inflation, of uh, consistent inflation near the Fed target is good for the economy because that means that usually prices are rising when the economy is expanding. Increased demand is, is typically good and that usually is in a time of, of rising GDP. So I think that's another good point from him. One point that I do want to highlight is we did see that a lot of the bank's earnings did beat expectations. Uh, all these banks are really looking for the Fed, which is why he might not be uh, so concerned about inflation. Is with rising inflation, you may see interest rates begin to rise, mm-hmm. which is where you'll see banks have more profits because then lending on those higher interest rates is more profitable to them, right? It's no extra work for them. They just get to be able to charge a higher rate. So he, he is probably shaking off the inflation, not, not to set off uh, too much. One last thing that we did see Diamond say is, is really the rising number of people quitting their jobs. Um, you know, Drew, is that something that we should be concerned about? Um, well, it, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, so the, the first thing I'll say about it is a lot of expectations might be that it's people who are new to the workforce 
Um, we're seeing that most of the people who are resigning are, you know, within a five to 15 year tenure, which is a lot of these people are mid career. Uh, I might add 40 to 45 years old. So this isn't, uh, you know, 25 and 24 year olds who are you know, hopping, front, jobs, uh, hopping yeah. jobs. It's, 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 it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, women is the most common gender. Uh, that's, I mean, with, with, with what, what would happen with childcare and, and schools and everything else, that's not a surprise there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a surprise reading, you know, there's been a lot of analysis on this, um, you know, with PwC had a survey indicating 65% of people were looking for a new job uh, as of August. You had one in four workers quit their jobs this year. I just think there's a massive reshuffling I mean, from a psychological standpoint, people are reevaluating where they stand in both their careers and their life, uh, whether they're looking for more quality or, I mean, there's a lot of people who are jumping ship for higher wages too. So I, I think it's expected, uh, you know, once you're facing an existential crisis, uh, this is this is kind of the time people act on stuff like this. The, the middle career and the experienced professionals leaving is what I found in that study mm -hmm. to be the most alarming, especially because those typically aren't the people that you see jumping ship. It's, as you mentioned, usually the younger employees and then the mid career, the more tenured employees, they're a lot more expensive to replace mm -hmm. and, um, and a lot harder to train, right? To bring them up to speed. They're leaving with a lot of internal knowledge. Some of the tricks of the trade that they have, so it is interesting to see different sectors, especially businesses and you know, leisure and hospitality, manufacturing, really feeling the crunch of that because we are seeing people move. Um, overall, this could be good for the U.S. productivity. Um, people looking at different pools, uh, employers having to pay more, we can see a rise in that. Um, and then also once they do this shuffling, as you called it, begins to settle. We could see employers really turn their focus from hiring more workers into increasing the productivity of the existing workplace. Yeah, and I, I guess I wanna, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion on how much of this is lifestyle, how much of this is economic. I guess I'm more team, this is based on just, you know, straight up simple economics. The reason why I say that is because if you look at this in conjunction, not only there's a lot of resignations going on, but there's an awful lot more strikes going on too. Uh, union strikes. I mean, you've seen John Deere, uh, you've seen the population's uh, approval of labor unions has gone up quite dramatically when you're comparing this year to 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of this has to do with just leverage. Workers realize they have a lot more leverage than they have in a long time. When you look at wages over many, many years, they haven't really caught up with inflation, never mind productivity. And I just think that is, uh, you know, the reversal. I mean, it's just, it's just more, um, you know, just labor. Labor just has more power than equity right now, and I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, in August, we, which is the latest month we have data for, is employers hired 6.3 million workers, but a record number of people, 4.3 million, quit their jobs in August. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty staggering number. When you really think about the year before, 
or the time period before, that was under 3 million. So almost 1.3 million before. Really a lot of increasing the Delta variant. We are seeing childcare also is still on people's mind as kids have been going back to school now. Um, overall, it, it, it is interesting because it seems like the shift is now the, there also has been that training gap of people looking for, I would say, more skilled workers and there's not that gap. So now they're having to pay more for that as well, uh, which is having a bit of a crunch in the labor market as well. I mean, any economists are referring to this as trying to find uh, what the bottom is for uh, reservation wage. So reservation wage being, I mean, minimum wage is obviously, you know, you, you got your federal minimum or people demanding $15 at, at you know, corporations like Starbucks and what have you. But, you know, reservation wage, you're taking into account. Yeah, I mean, the, the actual annual um, or the hourly, salary, but a suite of benefits that people will take as a minimum as well, whether that's 12 months parental leave on top of that, you know, X number of PTO days, sick leave. Um, it's not all about the cash. 401k matching, uh, everything else. So yeah, it's it's just gonna be a while. Companies are gonna have to find that sweet point. Um, it is salary, but then it is these suite of packages that are that are you know based off of uh, you know, retirement and childcare and everything else. Um, we're seeing somewhat of progress over the hill. I'm getting sick of talking about it. I'm sure most of you are getting sick of hearing about it. Uh, <laughs> But it, it seems like there's some forward chatter. Um, I mean, President Biden's obviously met with Manchin, uh, mano y mano. Uh, I mean, progressives might balk at some of the cuts. Some of the stuff that's been talked about is it would have been 12 weeks parental. Now it's looking at uh, a month parental leave, and that's means tested. I, I think one of the numbers is $100,000 a year or less. Uh, but you know this is all this is all up in the air, right? I mean, we're, we're, what we will see is a framework. So I'm looking forward to seeing that framework. Um, the tax implications are going to be huge. I, I expect there's going to be a lot of different lawsuits um, at some of the ways they might be, you know, targeting a wealth tax. Since um, repealing the Trump taxes is, is no go from cinema, um, and you know at this point, if it's no go for one senator. It, Every senator is a prime minister, right? Because you have a 50-50 split. Um, so yeah, so tax implications, tax policy is going to be a big part of this. That's definitely something to look forward to as well. I'm looking at a couple different things here. First one, I'm still like watching this downfall of Facebook. So it was reported in the Wall Street Journal that Facebook's struggling now to hire top Democratic lobbyists. So <laughs> no one oh, really wants to, go, yeah. wants to go near them. Um, and then this whistleblower case is, is continuing to shake out. Um, we did see that the, also the, we mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but the Apple privacy settings did have an impact on Facebook's ad revenue. So seeing how they can maybe shake that with, um, with to similar to how Google did. Um, so a couple there. One other thing for all the uh, DraftKing fans out there, the betting fans, Looks like they're abandoning their deal for the British rival, uh, Etain. So, unfortunately, it can't be going to DraftKings overseas at the moment. Mm. Unfortunate. Yeah, Facebook, uh, I agree. That's a big one. Um, I think it's been termed the Facebook Papers. It's, 
I, I kind of wish some of these data dumps and revelations would be more creative. I mean, you've got the Pentagon Papers, you've got the Afghanistan Papers, now it's the Facebook Papers. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd like them to mix it up a little bit when they find elements of institutional corruption. But uh, I mean, that's what we're working with. Uh, haven't had time to read into it. Um, but yeah, I'm also looking forward to um, spending more time to seeing what was uncovered about Facebook. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for your likes and subscribes. Um, thanks for listening to us this week. Uh, we're out. We'll be back with you next week. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.